Thank you, Amanda. There are certain events in history that are so significant that you remember just almost everything about them. What happened, why, and probably especially where you were when you discovered that. I remember, I think it was 1986, I was in a university class when news started to spread that the uh, space shuttle Challenger had exploded just after takeoff. Yesterday, uh, you probably are aware, was the 20th anniversary of 9-11. Hard to imagine that, like, you know, half my life has been post post, uh, um, 9-11. That's a bit of a joke if you know how old I am. But that day, terrorists flew planes into the World Trade Center and the Pentagon. There was a third plane that they thought was maybe headed towards the White House or the Capitol building, and then it was brought down by, really, by some of the, the, uh, the passengers themselves. I remember exactly where I was on that morning, who I was with, and what I was doing. Most of us will always remember March 2020, fairly recent history. We know that in March of 2020, a global pandemic was declared. In fact, it was March 11th, 2020. Oh, how little we knew then uh, that we would be still here 18 months later. That very next Sunday, March 15th, we already moved our service online. And I remember writing an email to the church, maybe you remember this, stating that we were hoping to be back together again in time for Easter 2020, like three weeks later. Oh, how naive we were. Well, maybe by September 2020, things will be a little bit different. No? (laughs) What about Christmas? No? What about Easter 2021? No? How about the best summer ever? No? And so here we are, 18 months later. It's an understatement, really, to say that we have been through a lot. We've been through multiple lockdowns, endured economic uncertainty, watched political leaders make difficult decisions, decisions that we may or may not support. We endured anxiety about our own health and well-being, both physically and mentally. We've endured social isolation, not seeing loved ones, and giving up traditional Christmas celebrations. And as we've been able to come back together with friends and family, those relationships maybe even feel a little bit strained due to some divisions due to all things COVID. This is just to mention a few. It has been an unprecedented season. Now going into 19 months and the uncertainty of where this is going is as strong as ever. In the midst of all this, can I ask you, How have you been? How have you handled this? How have these last 18 months affected your life, your family, your friendships? How has it affected your faith and your relationship with God? For me, I have to admit that I've allowed at times the difficulty of this past 18 months to drive a wedge between me and some of my friends and family conversations, if you can even call them that, around policy and the different opinions have been too much for some of my relationships. There are people I have found myself avoiding. There are groups of people that I have grown frustrated with. I'm even really annoyed that we have an election coming up in the middle of this. 
And I don't know about you, but I feel it. I'm a little edgy and I'm cranky about the whole situation right now. And in my relationship with God, I see how some of my own anxieties and fears and sense of having lost control have led me not towards God as they should have. In fact, there have been times it has caused me to grow a little cold and distant. I haven't prayed as much as I should have, nor have I sought His wisdom as I know I should have. And yet, in the midst of it all, I know that Jesus has been with me. When I haven't been present to Him, He has still been present to me. Most of us probably thought that the difficulty of this season would be behind us by now, and it isn't, and we're tired. And if we plotted some of our emotions, uh, if somehow if we could graph them, I bet that they would somewhat resemble the ups and downs of the peaks of COVID cases. I mean, just the thought of a fourth wave and masks again and vaccines, like, let's not even go there. So what do we do with all this? What do we do with the tension and the anxiety and the frustrations? This is a question I started asking God back in early June. Well, not that question exactly, but at the time, I was framing my question to God as if we had turned the corner on COVID. And I was asking for wisdom and direction for this fall. And when it comes to 2021, 22, God, what is your heart for TCC? Where do we go? You know, kind of with COVID over, how do we reorient ourselves? How do we pick ourselves up? How do we kind of restart? And, and how do we choose what's important to put our priorities and emphasis on? And as we moved through July and then August and now into September, it becomes clear that this isn't over and the difficulty of the season isn't behind us. But I believe that God actually did answer my prayer back in June. And it was a quiet whisper at first. With. When you get to September, just orient everything that you do as a church and particularly the the preaching on Sunday morning around this simple word with. You see, I kept thinking that August and maybe now even in September, it felt a little bit like I was climbing a mountain of sand when you just can't get anywhere, right? You just feel like you're working hard, but you're not getting anywhere. There's no momentum. God, is it still about with? And honestly, I was kind of expecting that maybe we would shift gears a little bit. But the answer that I got was just, yes, Norb, yes, yes it is. And it was just this confirmation that maybe this theme of with was more important than ever. So as we journey together this fall, I want us to orient ourselves around this word, with. It's a simple word, but it's a powerful one. It reminds us that even as the seasons change, even though our circumstances may change, and COVID is still with us, it reminds us all the time that we are not alone. We are not alone. Jesus, Emmanuel, 
The very word meaning God is with us. God is with us. And so we walk not on our own strength, we walk in His strength. We, we, we lean on His provision, we, we depend on His wisdom because we're not alone. And this word not only reminds us of God's presence and invites us then towards Him, but I believe it also invites us to consider how we may be with others. Friends, family, co-workers, neighbors who are maybe feeling themselves anxious and fearful and, and hurting and struggling and lonely. And whether we agree with them or not, you've had the discussions and maybe you said, you know, I just, I just can't even go there anymore. But how in even these instances we can step out to be with them and extend towards them maybe a bit of the peace and the hope that we ourselves find from being with God. The invitation to be with God and others is really an invitation back to the basics of what it means to follow Jesus. And over these next three weeks, I want us to orient ourselves around some familiar passage. And Pastor Adam and I are going to just tag team this one week on, one week off, and, and, and frame these next few messages around this word with. And then after these first three weeks, we're going to journey together into the book of Colossians. And we're going to continually pick up themes within it that encourage us to be more with God and with others. And since becoming lead pastor here at TCC about two and a half years ago, we've been intentionally following a rhythm in in our preaching. And the fall is a really good time for a fresh start. Families are back to, you know, are in that back to school mode. It's a time of reestablishing schedules and priorities. It's kind of go time, right? It's relaunch time. And traditionally, churches do the same. We relaunch ministry, which is what we're doing this month. And so there's all sorts of registration forms to fill out. And so if you have children and you, you want, you're interested in family ministries, and this is whether you're choosing to stay home or whether you're coming in person, but go online, find the link to that form, and, and uh, fill it out to let us know what your intentions are even in this next season. I know that will be super helpful for Jenna. I know the youth go through this every season as well, where they have a, a, you know, an annual release form that needs to be signed. These are registrations, events, refresh, as I mentioned earlier, re- registering for re- refresh and those kind of things. But there's a lot of things that are starting up too that don't require registration. And in September, when all these ministries are launching, I think it's an appropriate time to talk about who we are and what we're about as a church, to kind of reorient us and bring us back to saying, okay, this is where, who we are and this is where we're going. And our mission as a church is actually on the screens every Sunday. I don't know if you've, if you've caught this. But if you've been attending for any length of time, you've probably seen it multiple times. It's at the start of every children's spotlight. And so if you've been atten- paying attention, you know that the mission of our church is to know Jesus. We want everybody to know Jesus, to walk with Jesus, and to share Jesus. And this morning, I want to share with you how we as a staff believe we need to go about fulfilling that mission. Because if the mission statement is the what, what are we about? Today I actually want to talk about the how. How are we doing this? 
And to do this, I want to take us to the passage that Amanda read for us this morning. And perhaps it's a familiar passage that in most Bible translations is given the title, The Great Commission. So it's not a biblical term in sense. You, won't, you don't find this in the text of the Scripture, but when the Bible translations have been made, it's been helpful to kind of put titles by various sections. And so this was the title given to this section, The Great Commission. And you might think, well, that's really basic. I mean, everyone knows that. And then I got an email from George Barna, who's a researcher, particularly in the U.S., and he had asked the question, I believe it was in 2017 or 18, he says, have you heard of the Great Commission? I have to tell you, this shocked me. 51% said no. And this wasn't like just random street people. This was of churchgoers. 6% said they weren't sure. 25% said yes, they had heard about it, but they couldn't recall what it actually meant. And only 17% said yes, they had heard of it, and they knew what it means. Now, those are American statistics. I mean, we're much, you know, sorry, Tina, sorry. I'm kidding, you know that. But you know what? It struck me. I went back and looked. I go, you know what? In 12 years that I've been here as one of the pastors, we actually haven't talked about it that much. We've had a few messages. Pastor Adam's done a few here and there, and it's come up at different times. But, but maybe we've kind of taken it for granted that, you know, everybody knows this. Maybe they don't. And so I want to unpack the Great Commission this morning, and I'm going to walk us through a discipleship model that the staff have been looking at over the past five months or so. And it's a model used by John Mark Comer at Bridgetown Church, which he adapted from Dallas Willard. And I've appreciated it so much because it gave words to how I always viewed what discipleship should look like. It actually gave me a visual that helped me grasp this. And so it gives me this framework that helps me to understand how the various aspects of the Great Commission work together. So that's my introduction. The introduction to, well, this whole message is an introduction, but that's like the introduction to the introduction then. So let's dive into this a little bit more. When we think of the Great Commission, and I'll be straightforward and hopefully fairly clear with this, there's only one command. There's only one command, and that is to make disciples. And when you boil it all down, the mission of every church should be to make disciples. But the point is that the church is made up of disciples, of Christians, of followers of Jesus. And as disciples of Jesus, we too have only one purpose. And that is to make disciples, to make more and other disciples. Now, in this passage here, it's right at the end of uh, Matthew's gospel, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He doesn't say to them, you know, be my disciples. I mean, that is actually implied. It's expected. What he's saying is, if you're going to be my disciples, then you need to be about making other disciples. And so the Great Commission is one primary central command. Make disciples. And he says, go make disciples. In other words, get on with it. And it means that it's intentional. If we're going to take this command seriously, and really we don't have an option, this is what we're going to be about. We have to act on this. We have to take action and do something intentional about making disciples. 
The 11 disciples acted on this command. The 500 or so other followers of Jesus at the time, they went out and they did it. And you can read the book of Acts and see how things unfolded and the church exploded. But you and I are here today because the disciples responded to Jesus' commission. They responded to his command to go and make disciples. And down through the ages, Christians have engaged in the command to make disciples. And if you stop and just think for a moment, this is true of your own life. Why are you a follower of Jesus? Maybe you wouldn't even say that you're a follower of Jesus yet, but somebody has been talking to you. Somebody has been investing in you. Somebody has been taking you for coffee, and you thought it was just because they liked to be with you. They had a desire. They, they love Jesus so much that they want you to know Jesus as well. So who was it? Who are the people in your life that you could look back and say, well, there was this Sunday school teacher, there was this conversation, there was this sermon, there was this conference, there, were, there, were, there, were, there was just this time at camp. We, all of these different aspects are layers to how we have been made and formed as disciples. I was thinking about this in terms of my own life, and I've heard this, this story, but in 1858, um, in the city of Boston, there was a young school, uh, Sunday school teacher by the name of Edward Kimball. And he had such a burden that his students would know Jesus that he actually went to a shoe store where one of his students were working and pulled him aside and led him to Christ. That student who was working in the shoe store at the time was a, uh, was a man by the name of Dwight L. Moody. Some of you may be familiar with that name, I'm sure, because Moody became an international speaker. He preached in a little chapel, then pastored by a young man. Before I get to that, Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, it's a, a, a significant um, Christian uh, uh, college in, in the U.S., But Moody preached in a little chapel one day uh, that was pastored by a young man named Frederick Meyer. Uh, On hearing Dwight L. Moody, Frederick was inspired to become an evangelist just like Moody was. And one time, Meyer then was preaching, and a guy by the name of J. Wilbur Chapman responded to God's call on his life. Wilbur Chapman also then became an evangelist. Seems like that's what you did in those days when you came to Jesus. You had a passion for telling other people about him. Well, one time he enlisted the help of a volunteer named Billy Sunday, who would go and set up for these evangelistic meetings. And Billy Sunday learned to preach simply by watching Chapman. And eventually he took over Chapman's ministry. Billy Sunday's preaching brought thousands of people to Jesus. While inspired by a Billy Sunday crusade in Charlotte, North Carolina, a group of Christian men dedicated themselves to reaching their city for Christ. And so they invited evangelists named Mordecai Ham to come and hold a series of evangelistic meetings. The year was now 1932. A local farmer loaded up his pickup truck with neighbors and brought them to the meetings. And one of those people was a 16-year-old boy who sat in the crowd each night spellbound by the message. Each evening, the preacher seemed to be shouting and waving his finger at this young man. And night after night, the teenager came. And finally, on the last night, he went forward and he too gave his life to Jesus Christ. That teenager was Billy Graham. 
In August 1980, Billy Graham was preaching every night for eight days at Northlands Coliseum. And one night there was a young 13-year-old boy who, after resisting this compelling urge, also walked forward and gave his life to Jesus Christ on August 15, 1980. That was me. Now, I'm not saying that this is a direct linear, you know, connection in all of these ways, but it's because of the faithfulness of people who've gone before us that have been passionate about knowing and walking and sharing Jesus with others that they've had an influence on others. It's the same influence that you might have on the people around you, whether they're your children, as you engage them around the tables or at the tables at home, in conversation, when you lay them to bed at night. All of those are little steps in making disciples. And Jesus gives us four words here that I want to unpack with the time that we have left. I'll give them to you now, and then I'll go back and we'll start there. But the, three, the four words that you might want to write down if you're taking some notes are simply this. Baptizing, teaching, obedience, and with. You see, disciples are not born, and they're not made overnight. And I, I think it's hard for us to appreciate that sometimes because we live, live in a world of instant everything. I mean, we probably get frustrated with our own slow growth and maturity sometimes. But the consistent, repetitive engagement in the process of becoming a disciple is something that every one of us is called to. This isn't for like super Christians or, you know, the really serious ones, the radical ones, all those crazy ones. No, because if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a disciple. And as disciples, we must be about the ongoing, what I might even say, mandatory process of discipleship to Jesus. There's no opting out, friends. There's no shortcuts. And so as we keep looking at this great commission, the command to make disciples, here's the first word, baptizing. In verse 19, Jesus said, Therefore, go and make disciples, we've talked about that, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And there are two aspects of baptizing that I want to draw your attention to. First of all, is that baptism itself is an outward expression of an inward faith. This is why one of the first steps after coming to faith in Jesus is, in fact, to be baptized. You read, the, read through Acts, and you'll see this over and over again. They come to faith in Jesus, and they're baptized. And so if you consider yourself a disciple of Jesus, and you've never been baptized, you should be baptized. Because baptism is a public testimony that you are, in fact, a disciple, a follower of Jesus who's doing what Jesus did. Jesus himself was baptized. Matthew chapter 3, Mark 1, Luke 3. Just read through that. But bottom line is disciples of Jesus are baptized. Dallas Willard says this about baptism. He says, baptism is the immersion in the Trinitarian reality, that's Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and the allowance for that, that act of baptism, to shape our whole lives. That it should shape our whole lives. And I think sometimes we get this part about baptism so wrong. We kind of see it as a one-time ritual, you know, one and done. And we forget what it actually means. 
But we should always come back and remember that because we have been baptized, we have now publicly declared, whether it's in front of five people or 500 people, but we've publicly declared that we believe in Jesus and our desire was to follow him. And so baptism itself really is an invitation into a practice. Now, in the case of baptism, it's, it's not a practice that you do over and over again, but like Willard says, it shapes our whole lives. Baptism itself symbolizes dying to ourselves, dying to the ways of the world, and then being raised to new life um, in Jesus, living this baptized life. It was Jesus himself who said, listen, if anyone would come after me, he needs to what? Deny himself, deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. That's what it means. We deny ourselves, and it's a hard thing to, to, to talk about when we live in kind of an entitled society, an entitled culture. We always want everything for ourselves. And, and it says, no, no, no. The, the way of Jesus is, in fact, to deny yourself. And take up your cross. It can be hard. It's not easy following Jesus. Whoever told you that hasn't followed, and I could go way off on that, and I won't, but it's not easy. And then follow him. And so, what does this baptized life look like? What other practices do we have? What other outward expressions of an inward faith are there? I think I got lost in my notes. But I'm going to draw your attention to this because this is this framework that I want to, want to draw out. But just thinking about this framework, okay, and I'm going to unfold this as we go. But there are many different practices that we can engage in. And most of them really are outward expressions of an inward faith. What we do, like when we gather like this, worship, it's a practice, and, and, and this should be part of our weekly rhythm that we, that we gather with God's people in some way and, and we worship God. We celebrate who He is, what He's done. Prayer is a practice. Scripture reading, being consistent in that, following some kind of plan or something that takes you into the Word at least every day. Fasting, silence and solitude. Sabbath, hospitality, justice, evangelism, the list goes on. There, there are many different practices that we can engage in. And some of these are not new to you. You already do them. And we're going to continue to emphasize them. And some will have a renewed emphasis. For example, when we talk about silence and solitude, one of the things that we're going to invite you into if you uh, desire to grow in your experience with silence and solitude, Anna's going to lead some silent retreats on a Saturday from like 9 to 3 at a retreat center where you can pull away from the craziness of life and just be with God. And the invitation here is to engage in these spiritual practices, or maybe you're more familiar with the term of spiritual disciplines, and they're ones that actually help form us, actually help form us. Because whether you've thought about it or not, we all engage in other practices. Scrolling through Facebook nightly is another practice. How is that helping you become more like Jesus? How is it helping me? Binging on YouTube or Netflix, if, if part of your routine is every Friday night, we watch a movie. 
That's a practice. But you should ask yourself, how is that forming you as a follower of Jesus Christ? And the invitation is to engage in these intentional activities. Activity, or in the words of the Apostle Paul, training is in fact essential to our formation as disciples. The second aspect about baptism is this. It's an identification with a Christian community. You see, baptism was not simply between the individual and God, but it was an act identifying them with the Christian community. And this is seen very clearly throughout Christian history. Participation in Christian community is actually essential to becoming more like Jesus. And at TCC, we strongly encourage you to walk with Jesus, not just by yourself, but to walk with Jesus in the company of others. We can't do this on our own. And so back to this framework, it's not just the practices, but it's also this experience of community. Community is that place where you belong, where you are known. Community is the place to practice the one another commands, where you love one another in community. You pray for one another, you honor one another, you encourage one another, you even confess sins to one another. What a concept. You accept one another. You serve one another. Friends, will you, as a disciple of Jesus, in this season, commit to walking with a few others in community? Whether you're part of a home group, whether you establish a triad, which is something we talk about, uh, three men together or three women together, you know, for two hours, at least one time a month. Just connect to talk about how is your walk with Jesus going? Maybe you gather at, at Equip, which starts in October. There's an there's a element of community there. We've talked about refresh this morning. There's an element of experiencing community there. But friends, we need community. And I know I could say way more about that, but we need it. We need other believers to speak into our lives and that we can walk this out together. The next word is teaching. Back to verses 19 and 20. Therefore, go and make disciples. We've talked about that. Baptizing, we've talked about that. And teaching them. And so now we have this image to add to our little framework here where we've got the practices, we have community, and we have teaching. And teaching in this context means receiving the instruction of God as given to us in Scripture and allowing it to shape our lives. What I'm doing this morning is teaching about teaching. And what we know about God and what we learn about following Jesus, that is what we believe, what we think, and what we do. Now, just to be clear, when we think about teaching and information and knowledge, information itself does not equal transformation. Just because you may know a lot, it does not equal formation. Knowledge itself does not produce maturity. Now, I think at TCC, we generally get the teaching right. At least I hope we do, because we spend a good 30, 35, maybe 40 minutes some Sundays doing just that. And Adam's gift of teaching is especially utilized and equipped. 
But there are many other teachers here as well. Our home group leaders are, are, are passionate about helping people um, grow in their understanding and their knowledge about teaching. And again, the, the, the goal is not to know a lot of truth, but to do something with what you know. And that is why teaching is part of this discipleship framework. Jack, if you could just put that slide back up, that last one with the, with the triangle. But all three of these need to be present because teaching is not the only part. And so, for example, if you depend on one message one time a month or maybe you, you come every other Sunday or whatever, it's, it's, it's really not enough. I just have to say that. Because you have to be in community where you're interacting with other believers and then you have to be engaged in these practices. It's important that all three of these elements are actually necessary for spiritual formation and discipleship to happen. And they're all important, but there's a little bit more. One of the main things is obedience. And you hear this word often, but look what Jesus says when he says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, okay? Baptizing the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them. And what are they teaching them? To obey everything I have commanded you. And so if we just go back to this framework for a second, you have these practices, but it's really this obedience over time. This is that over time element. The word obey implies that there are going to be opportunities and times to choose different ways or a different way of life. But the invitation from Jesus is to conformity to his life over time. People grow and mature over time. We are not formed overnight or in some kind of one-time experience. As Eugene Peterson describes it in his book, Discipleship is a long obedience in the same direction over time. Being transformed into the image of Jesus is a lifelong process of discipleship. The key verse in Colossians that we'll refer to many times is chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. You see, it takes time to grow roots deep. It takes time to be built up and strengthened. But it happens over time as we obediently engage in teaching and community and practices. And again, this isn't just about knowledge because the thing that really sets disciples apart are that disciples obey and conform their lives to the teaching that they're engaged in. And obedience really becomes a hallmark of a discipleship, a disciple of Jesus. And the last thing that I'll draw your attention to, and this is by far the best part, because at this point, we might even object. We might even be going, whoa, 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 this just seems impossible. Not only am I responsible for myself growing as a disciple in terms of baptism and, and uh, community and practices, and I'm supposed to be responsible for, to bring other people along. There's no way that I can do it. <laughs> We're like Jacques trying to turn the pages in a book. It's overwhelming. But here's the beauty of it. 
this passage, Jesus gives his disciples a promise. Jesus is with us. Jesus is with us. Verse 20, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You see, this is a recognition that we are not left to our own resources in all of this, but we're invited to operate out of the power of Jesus' presence, the power of the Holy Spirit. It's His abiding presence with us that is fundamental to our discipleship. So teaching and disciplines and community and obedience, they're not separated or independent in some way from the Holy Spirit's role in our lives. At the beginning of Mark's gospel, chapter 3 and verse 13, Jesus invites his disciples to be with him. And now here at the end of Matthew's gospel, he states that he, in fact, will be with his disciples. So we do not make disciples on our own. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit. We're never alone. Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, is always with us. And so why do we engage in teaching? Why do we engage in practices? Why do we connect in community? Because this is how we are with God and with others. And this doesn't just happen on our own. Again, we have to be intentional about it and take action. But never forget that Jesus is with us. Friends, as much as the Great Commission contains a command, go and make disciples, I also believe there's a beautiful invitation here. Jesus is inviting us to a particular way of life to hear His teaching, to participate in His community, to engage in practices, practices that ultimately help cultivate a nearness with God. It's how we are intentionally with Him. And over time, spending time with Him begins to form us and shape us into the image of His Son, Jesus. Friends, that's the invitation that we have for you today. Please don't see this list of upcoming events or programs and activities that we offer as just an end in and of themselves. Not at all, because everything we do is for the purpose of making disciples through intentional engagement with teaching, with community, and practices by the power of the Holy Spirit over time. Let's pray. Father, We thank you for the clarity with which Jesus brings this commission to his disciples. And Father, maybe we hadn't thought about it this way before, and we kind of thought, well, that was for his disciples, and we didn't own it as if it was our responsibility, that it was an invitation for us to also be about making disciples. And Father, when we think of maybe our primary purpose when we think of a job description that you have for all believers in Jesus Christ, that making disciples is beyond our career as a, as a teacher or a doctor or as a lawyer or as a tradesperson, as a plumber or whatever you have called us to do with our days. But it's within those days that we know that you are with us. You are with the teachers in the classroom. You are with the nurses beside the hospital bed. You are with the politicians making difficult decisions. God, you are at work. 
and you are about transformation. And sometimes we don't see it. Sometimes it just seems so slow. Sometimes we feel like we're trudging up a sand hill. Sometimes we feel like we're going backwards. But Father, I pray that as a church, today, these next few weeks, these next few months, we would just respond to this beautiful invitation to be with you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.